We're going to continue our series, The Biblical Case for the Multi-Ethnic Church. And I'm not going to do any review from the last couple weeks. Uh, Sometimes I get too caught up in the review. And so I'm just going to get to the new information today. Uh, We started last week discussing why this whole topic of the multi-ethnic church is so important. And today we're going to say that it's important because all the nations of the earth, God determined to be blessed through Abraham and his seed. And we'll start to unpack that and help you understand why it's important for the multi-ethnic church to take their place. I'm going to read in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord says to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. See, this is when you're in a position to be a blessing, we need to understand it's because God has first blessed us. If this was something that just came with life, why would the Lord have to say this to Abraham? Why would he have to say, I'm going to make you a blessing? You're going to be a blessing if, if it just was automatic. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families or all the people of the earth shall be blessed. <clears throat> in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, after Abram has passed the test of sacrifice and he was willing to lay down uh, or to sacrifice his son Isaac and the Lord steadied his hands, the Lord says to him, in your seed, all the nations, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That word seed means fruits or children. And some examples of this, I, I just want to give you some examples uh, because no, the, the Jewish, no, no ethnicity of people on the face of the earth has won more Nobel Peace Prizes than the Jewish people. And I'm getting this information from jinfo.com. It says, at least 210 Jews and people of half or third quarter Jewish uh, ancestry have been awarded the Nobel Prize, accounting for 22% of all individual recipients worldwide between 1901 and 2021 constituting 36% of all U.S. recipients during the same period. So the Jews are a part of the offspring of Abraham. Uh, Many of you know that the nation of Israel is comprised of 12 tribes. And at some point in time in the Old Testament, there was this split and there became the northern kingdom, which, which was known as Israel, And the southern kingdom became Judah. The southern kingdom was made up of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. So when we say Jews, we're speaking of that southern kingdom. Because the ten tribes in the northern kingdom, through captivity and different things that have happened, we don't know what happened to them. They got scattered throughout all the earth. 
and 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 there's no tracing of of where they end up becoming but we know that that southern kingdom judah uh is who we now call the jews now the jews also have come up with some pretty important inventions as well that i want to give you because we're talking about in abraham's seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed so let me just give you a couple inventions First one is the teddy bear. Not very important to me, but I know some people love teddy bears. Mike and Ike's candy, much more important to me, was created from a Jewish person. The ballpoint pen, the instant camera, the mobile phone, the camera phone, video games, Google, Those are all Jewish inventions. Those are all ways that the Lord has used the offspring, the seed of Abraham, to be a blessing to the nations. Now, when God spoke to Abraham and told him that the nations would be blessed through his offspring, I don't think the Lord was primarily talking about inventions and academic pursuits and intellect and Nobel Peace Prizes. What he was referring to was Jesus. When he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. These things that I've just named are just icing on top of the cake that through Abraham's lineage came the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It's okay to clap. Thank you, Jacob. The Father loved mankind so much that he sent Jesus through Abraham to bring about our salvation. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right? So you see that. Abraham, David, Jesus. And then if you skip down, because then in verse 2 through 16, it starts to outline who this lineage is. And you should really read that and study that sometimes. Don't get bored by just a bunch of names that are hard for you to pronounce. Do a little research and get some background in terms of who these people were and their story. It will start to reveal some things to you about God and his love that maybe you, you, you hadn't known before. Amen? But then we skip down to verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. So there's 42 generations that came from the time that God spoke that prophetic word to Abraham to the birth of Jesus Christ. That represents about 1,940 years. And there's a lot that God worked through in order to get Jesus here on the earth. Various captivities and rebellion from the people of God. See, what we need to understand, church, is when God gives you a word, he doesn't forget about it. 
You may forget about it. You may give up on it, but God doesn't. 42 generations, 1,940 plus years to get Jesus into the earth so that God's word spoken to Abraham that in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this prophetic message was pointing to not just Jesus, but the gospel of Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, because we're coming up into this holiday season and we're going to start hearing a lot about the baby Jesus. And thank God for the baby Jesus. Because if there was never a baby Jesus, we'd, we'd never have the Savior Jesus. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about baby Jesus. That word gospel means good news. <coughs> I, I thought I had COVID this week. I got tested on Tuesday. It came back negative. I just have a really severe sinus infection. I start feeling better Friday and Saturday. I woke up this morning and it's like, man, it's, it's back. So be patient with me. Um, but the gospel, that word gospel literally means the good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's a Christian term that we, that we know and that we throw around, but do we really understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, right? If you ask the average Christian, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? They're going to say, well, Jesus was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life and he died a sinner's death and he rose from the grave and he ascended back into heaven and one day he's going to come back and receive us to himself and we're going to spend eternity uh, reigning with him here on the earth in his kingdom. And that's not wrong, but there's a problem with explaining things that way because the reality of the situation is there needs to be a gospel of Jesus Christ because of the evil and the wickedness that is in man. Oh, it's going to be one of those messages this morning. Yes, because we've so pretty painted the gospel that we don't even really mention sin anymore. That we don't even mention why Jesus had to come. And the reality of the situation is there would be no need for Jesus, the Savior, if man could be good. But we can't. And so when the Lord is saying in your seed, Abraham, all the nations, all the ethnicities of the earth are going to be blessed, it's because he, Jesus, is going to deliver us from trying to be good enough, which is a losing battle, because we can never be good enough. When you listen to people like, and I'll just say it, Joe Osteen. Talk about in each one of us, deep down in our hearts, we're, we're all good people. No, we're not. On the top of our heart, down deep in our heart and everywhere in between, there's wickedness and evil. Well, pastor, I've never murdered anybody. I've never, why you got to go to extremes? We're speaking about, thank you, Mark. We're speaking about a holy God and a wicked and evil people. 
You don't have to murder someone to not be good. Tell a lie. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Look at a woman with lust in your heart. and You've committed adultery. Have you ever been in a place where you say, Lord, forgive me for that thought? We need the gospel. We need to know what the gospel, we need to know why we need the gospel. And it's because we are without hope. It's because we will live our lives trying to be good enough. And that will always cause us to fall short. Because we can't do it. We can't be good enough. We're not good people. We're good people in comparison to people. But we're not good people in comparison to God. I know that's going to hurt some of the little modern day psychology that that we hear. But we need to hear it. Because even Christian people, I myself, if I'm not careful, can get caught up in this, trying to be good enough. Because there's something in us that wants to earn salvation. There's something in us that wants to say, I had a part in that. There's something in us that wants to take some glory and credit from God. Now, we'd never admit that. But that's just the truth. So we have to fight against the weakness and the evil that's in our flesh that wants to take glory from God and ascribe some of it to ourselves. Well, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ is you can't be good enough. You never have been. You never will be. So stop trying. Hear me out. Place your faith in Christ and you get his merits. So now the Lord's not looking at you, Rick, or me, Charles. He's looking at Jesus because my faith is in him. And it's not because I'm good. It's because I place my faith in Christ. The one in whom is the fulfillment of the prophetic word to Abraham, then in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, here's one of the ways you know you have relationship with Christ is it will produce some good works in you. There's there's things that I used to like to do and participate in that embarrass me that I used to enjoy that. That's because I came into relationship with Christ and he's created a, he's transforming my heart. But there's still some wickedness in there. There's still some evil in there. There's still some bad in there. Let me say it that way so I cover everybody. Because some of you are like, there's no wickedness in my heart. There's no evil in my heart. Yeah, there's some little bad in there. Right? I want to read this from Genesis chapter 6. And then I'm going to bring up two questions that most of us will ask when we read this. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8 says, Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made man, made them. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, let me just kind of break this down a little bit. The Lord, he saw bad and evil nature in man. And not just a little bit, but that it was great in the earth. In fact, he says uh, that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That means all day long. That means all day long. And not just that, the Lord's like, they've even corrupted the animals on the earth and the birds and the creeping things because sin has come into the earth through man. But I love verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace meaning kindness and favor. Now, when we read that, I imagine most of us think, what did Noah do to find grace in the eyes of the Lord? And let me tell you this. We ask that because once again, we want to be able to take some credit for what God has done to save us. The Lord just told us man is corrupt, he's wicked, his heart is evil continually all day long. Then there's a big but in verse 8. But Noah found grace. He found kindness. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the Bible does tell us that Noah was a just man. And it says that he was perfect in his generation, which that perfect means that he was genetically still man that God had created because of, and I, I know this might be controversial, but it's just, it's the scripture. But Noah was genetically perfect because the angels had come down and slept with the daughters of men and created this hybrid deal, Noah was one who was still genetically the man that God had created. So when it says he was perfect, it didn't mean he was out without fault. It literally meant he was genetically still per a perfect human being. And him being just. But he still was full of evil. Well, you can't say that about Noah. I, I didn't. Genesis 6, 5 did. Noah was a much more holy man than I am, I'm sure. But still a broken, fallen man. Here's the question that we ask when we read Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The first one is, wow, those people back then must have really been evil and wicked. The second question we ask is, once again, I wonder what Noah did to find kindness and favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because we're deflecting. We're deflecting. Those people had to be so wicked. And can I tell you that the wickedness that is in the earth today is beyond 
anything they could imagine back then. Well, they were sacrificing their babies. What do you think we've been doing in the U.S. since 1973? That's one big pagan ritual. Whether you believe it or not, it's the truth. Since 1973, when abortion became legal, it's been one big pagan satanic ritual of sacrificing our children to the gods of Baal and Molech. Do some research on it. Organizations like Planned Parenthood that then take those aborted babies and the parts of their bodies and they sell it for medical research. It's wickedness. It's absolute wickedness. They were not more wicked than our day and age that we live in. They weren't. And here's what Noah did to find favor in the sight of God. Nothing. Just like you and I did nothing to, to, to receive salvation. All we did was accept the free gift. We said, yes, Lord. God is looking on the earth because he's going to destroy everything and everybody. But I love man. He's created in my image and my likeness. Noah. Go build an ark. Yes, Lord. I'll spend the next 120 years doing it. Right? Stick with me. I, I know this is, is going slow this morning, but, but we need to hear this. Now, the reason we struggle with this whole concept of Noah find, finding favor and wanting to kind of take some credit for uh, our salvation, whether we do that uh, knowingly or unknowingly, is because we don't, we, we minimize how bad of a condition we really are in. You know what I'm saying? We minimize how bad of a condition our hearts really are in because we look at other people. Man, compared to Hitler, I'm an awesome guy. Right? Well, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I, right? We, we bring up the worst of the worst. And the Lord is saying, lying lips are an abomination to me. The Lord is saying, if you sow discord amongst the brethren, it's an abomination to me. If you're divisive, it's a rebellion is as witchcraft. And we celebrate a rebellion here in America, right? Right? Yellow light, I think I should stop, but I'm going to speed up and I'm going to get, that's rebelling against the law. Guilty. Guilty. When we look at us compared to other people, yeah, we're, we're pretty good. When we look at ourselves compared to God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. In fact, let me read some verses that speak to this. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's why we say we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And this is what we say. Oh, 
Well, Johanna, God knows your heart. Well, we do too. It's wicked. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Where do you think this evil stuff that we see in the world comes about? It started in the heart of man. Right? I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm trying to help us understand the condition that we are in separated from Christ. Psalm, one four, or Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. This is a Psalm of David, and he says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there you go. For your atheist buddies, you can tell them the Bible. You're in the Bible. <laughs> the fool <laughs> says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Not one. That's including us. One more verse, just just because if your confidence ain't beaten down enough, I want to beat it down a little bit more. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind having taken us away. Wow. Our righteousness compared to God's righteousness is like filthy rags. And a better, interpre- a better uh, interpretation of that is like, think about like uh, when you have a surgery and there's galls. I remember when we lived in Texas, Stacy got bit in her thigh by a brown recluse uh, in two spots. And if you don't know what a brown recluse is, it's a very venomous spider. And I remember we went to the hospital because uh, it started out as like these two, two little like looked like pimples on her leg, but they were really painful. And so by the time we got her to the doctor, like just two days later, they were starting to turn black. And so they, you know, the, they, they do this little stuff and the doctor comes in. He says, I have good news and I have bad news. Says, okay, what's the good news? He says, the good news, we're not going to have to cut off her leg. If you had waited a couple more days, we'd have to cut her leg off. The bad news is we got to go into surgery now. And they clean, they cut out flesh. And I would have to pack that every day with medicated galls. And and obviously to pack it, I'd have to pull the old stuff out. And God is saying, my righteousness compared to his it's like those galls I was pulling out of this wound in my wife's leg. We're in bad shape, church, apart from Jesus. 
We live in this culture that tells us we're good and that we're not that bad and that, you know, we even got preachers now telling us that deep down we're really good people and we're not. So much so that the Lord says to Abraham, I've got to do something about this. I'm going to use you to be a blessing to the nations. And we thank Nobel Peace Prizes and inventions and money and this, that, and the other. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what God is really saying is I'm going to bring my son, Jesus Christ, through your lineage, uh, uh, Abraham, because man is in a bad place. Now, what does this have to do with the multi-ethnic church? Everything. Because the gospel message isn't meant for just one skin color. It's not meant for one tribe of people or just one nation of people. Because what does it say? None do good. No, not one. Right? I don't, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but John 3.16 says what? That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. I don't, I don't hear a qualifier in there about ethnicities or tribes or nations or skin colors. And so if we are the people of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, tasked with the responsibility of preaching the gospel to all nations, I think our church should encompass all nations. Because I hate to say it, but it can be difficult, not impossible, but it can be difficult to win people who don't look like you. Yeah. It's not impossible. Don't hear, I'm not saying that. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. I told you my story last week. God called me to Covenant Church, and I almost walked away from that because the pastor didn't look like me. Right? The gospel message is a message for every man. Now, I want to read from uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Because someone's thinking right now, well, that's the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his, God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They meaning mankind. There's not a man on planet earth. I don't care how, how uh, remote of a desert or, or rainforest you want to put them in. There's not a man on earth that's without excuse for accepting Christ. He just said he's revealed it in them. He's shown it to them. They can look at nature and even understand his Godhead. And if that's not enough, the Lord can send an angel 
In fact, we need to be thankful that God even uses us. We can't get arrogant to think, well, we haven't evangelized every part of the earth. So those people who haven't heard it in this remote village, they're exempt. And I believe that the Lord can show them in dreams and visions. I believe the Lord can send an angel. Amen. Even his eternal power in God is so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, this sounds like America, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. We're still in a bad place in this New Testament age. But there's hope. Because God said, in you, Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Then passed that word, that word kept being passed down through 42 generations multiple captivities of the nation of Israel, the splitting of that nation into two separate kingdoms, one just gone away. We don't know what happened to him. He still brings about his son, Jesus, through a virgin, Mary, who's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who is in the bloodline of King David. And this Jesus whom we, who we worship today lived a perfect, sinless life. Died a horrifying, despicable death on the cross so that you and I don't have to. Because we just read, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So if the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness, then the love of God and the redemption of God is revealed through Jesus Christ for all men, all women, all children, who place their faith in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says it this way, and we'll close after this. It says, for I, Paul is preaching, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For certain people who believe. Oh, hold on. Let me read that again. My eyes have been messed up with this sinus infection. It says, for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so those who are truly justified in Christ 
We live by faith in his work, not our own. Because our work is full of unrighteousness and evil and wickedness. And so I have to give up trying to be good enough to earn righteousness. I have to get to the place where I trust Jesus and his work and his merits. And I say, you know what, Lord? Because you limited yourself by being born of a woman and living in this life and doing it perfectly and then dying in my place, I place my faith in your sacrifice. Cover me in your blood because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs wasn't good enough. It just covered my sin. It's still there. If you lift that cover, it's still there. That's what the Old Testament system was. That's why we don't need those sacrifices anymore. Because the perfect lamb has come to not cover our sin. Yeah, it's still there. But to wash it away. Where is it? It's gone. Because in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth are blessed. The gospel sets us free from trying to be good enough by our own merits. And it declares us good enough based on the merits of Jesus Christ as we come to him in faith. So what we do now is we live the rest of our life in faith. Placing our trust in him, not our own ability. So I've been saying throughout this message, we're in bad shape. Not us who have placed our faith in Christ and have gotten under the blood of Jesus. But there is a caution for us. Don't try to come up from underneath that covering and start to be good enough. The Bible says there's... if, if you bring yourself out from underneath Jesus' sacrifice, there, there does not remain a sacrifice good enough to save you. So we need to live the rest of our lives understanding, man, in me dwells nothing good in my flesh. And so I praise God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I praise God that 900 or 1,940 plus years before Jesus ever came on the scene, the Father was declaring my deliverance. I praise God that I and those that I love and those in my community do not have to live in this hopeless situation. The Lord said to me a few months ago, you don't love people the way you should love people. He said that to me. I said, okay, then Lord, help me love people the way you want me to love them. He said, you don't have a burden for the lost. 
I want to see people say, yeah, but it doesn't break your heart that they're not. And break my heart for the lost. I'm starting to get to this place, and it's it it's it's a weird feeling, but a good feeling. Where I'm genuinely starting to experience the love of God for the lost. I'm starting to have an urgency. Because I don't know how much time they have. I don't know how much time I have. But all those things that I started out talking about here, showing us, painting, hopefully I did a good job of painting a picture of how hopeless we really are apart from Christ. And then we can exhale and say, but I have Christ. Now we need to start to think about people that live outside of your four walls who are just as hopeless who are in just as bad a situation as you were. The problem is they don't have that exhale because they haven't come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Breakthrough Covenant Church. Are we just going to sit around and pray for them from afar? Not that that's bad. Well, evangelism isn't my gift. Mine either. But I'm still called to do the work of an evangelist. So that means every day that I get up, I need to be asking the Lord, open my eyes to see where I can sow seeds in the lost so that they can come to faith in Christ. Now listen, let me free you up. The Bible says one sows, one waters. It's God who brings the increase. I want to free you up because you can discount your effort in preaching the gospel to the lost because they didn't say yes to Christ. You could be watering a seed that's been planted or you could be planting the first seed. Either way, you can't bring increase. It's God. So relieve yourself of that. I think if we set ourselves free of that that pressure of making sure they get saved, we'd probably preach the gospel to the lost a lot more. I don't really, I I I don't know the gospel. Yeah, you do. Man is wicked and evil and needs a savior. His name is Jesus. Do you want him? It's that simple. It's that simple. But what if they start asking it? tell them, I I don't know the answer, but I'll get it. Or you might surprise yourself. You may have a lot more knowledge than you think. But I'm telling you, as ambassadors of Christ, as those who have been blessed to come into relationship with him and receive salvation, 
there is a responsibility on us that we preach that message to those who need to hear it. Amen? The multi-ethnic church matters because we preach a gospel message that is meant for every nation of man. Not just the white man, the Asian man, the Hispanic man, the black man, every nation. And guess what? Through your faith in Christ, you've been grafted in. So you are part of that seed of Abraham. And Jesus is in you. And so go be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Amen. Amen. Father, we...